Hello and welcome to the Black Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle. How are you doing today? I hope things are going well for you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, also, I'm in solidarity. If I hadn't mentioned solidarity before, I'm going to mention solidarity now to my fellow workers out here who are striking for better wages and you know, for a better future, for better health care. Um, I hadn't kept up with that too much. I, I did do a podcast earlier about it, but I, I didn't, you know, that's probably going to show up on the, on the Patreon there. But um, good news about Nabisco. Uh, Nabisco strike has come to an end. Uh, as of September 19th, uh, well, actually, yeah, it ended September 18th, so good news for them. I hope they got everything that they were um, were hoping for, I, you know, because in solidarity, you know, I didn't buy any of those Nabisco products, so, you know, I have a family member here who is missing their Oreos, so... Let's see what's going on about uh, the strike. Again, this is Everything Thursday, um, where we go through the different articles and and find out a theme and work out, you know, and talk about the various um, stories of the day. And what I do is I avoid beating my tambourine for the usual stuff. So, you know, because there are other things going on in the world besides those two subjects that shall not be named today. Um, but uh, here is an update on the the the, the Nabisco uh, strike. It says uh, Nabisco strikes ends after union members approve new contract. So that's an applause! Yay! They got a new contract. A, uh, a strike that started last month in Portland, Oregon, and spread to other Nabisco bakeries and distribution centers across the United States ended Saturday with unionized workers voted, quote, overwhelmingly in favor of a new collective bargaining agreement. Though some Portland employees opposed ratifying the four-year contract calling for better terms, it ultimately garnered the necessary support from workers there and at facilities in Aurora, Colorado, Richmond, Virginia, Aurora, Colorado, Richmond, Virginia, Chicago, Illinois, and Norcross, Georgia. Anthony Shelton, president of the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers International Union, the BCTGM, confirmed the agreement with Nabisco's parent company, Mondelez International, in a statement Saturday. This has been a long and difficult fight for our striking members, their families, and our union, Shelton said. Throughout the strike, our members displayed tremendous courage, grit, and determination. Cameron Taylor, a business agent at BCTGM, Local 364 in Portland, told the Oregonian on Saturday that about 75% of all members approved of the agreement with the snack giant known for Oreo and Chips Ahoy cookies as well as Ritz and other crackers. Yeah, you know what? That was hard on me, but I had to stand with them because, you know, and I was missing those Ritz crackers with my tuna fish salad. I really was. 
In fact, I didn't even make tuna fish salad because it's, you know, rich crackers. So what my members wanted us to hold on to, what my members wanted us was to hold on to their benefits, Taylor said, referencing the deal scraps, a new health care proposal that allows most workers to maintain their regular overtime schedule. He noted that the company did get what what the company did get was a weekend crew. While BCTGM Local 364 President Michael Burlington told the Portland Mer- Mercury that he was not surprised by the vote, but it's disappointing nonetheless, but he and Taylor still framed the development as an improvement in the conditions of the workers. Uh, he went on to say that the, the strike sent a message. This is a major win. Um, and uh, working people around the country for years to come. Well, you know what what they were striking about. They were striking about um, Nabisco was working them to death, working, you know, uh, and didn't want to pay overtime hours. So they were making you work roughly about seven days a week, six to seven days a week. And there were, they wanted to scrap your health care. Same as with the, with the, with the miners, by the way. Um, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, same as, the, you know, you're, you're working, but they don't want to pay you overtime pay. They want you to be paid straight pay. They want to un-American the, the workers, pretty much. Because, you know, I, I talked about this. That, you know, they go to other countries and there is no overtime pay. You can just work these people to death with no, you know, no pay, no reward, no nothing. You know, you just tell them, oh, you're just, you, you should be lucky. You have a job, you know. And that's what they, that's what the, the, the workers went on strike for. It's like, no, we cannot work um, all this overtime and you just don't pay us. And then they want to cut the health care and they want to cut this and cut that. Well, it looks like they have a win. I hope they have everything that they want. It looks like they're not going to, you know, uh, the working seven days a week for straight pay is uh, looks like that is off the table. Uh, looks looks good. Looks good. I hope they have everything they want. Solidarity. Thank God I can go back to cookies and Oreos. Well, not really, thank God. I, ho- I just hope they have everything they want. But as um strike ends, another strike begins. And this is at Kellogg's. Oh, my God. This is crazy. So workers strike at Kellogg's. And let's see what's going on with that. Work at all Kellogg's companies, U.S. cereal plants came to a halt Tuesday as 1,400 workers or 1,400 workers went on strike. But it wasn't immediately clear how much the supply of Frosted Flakes or any of the company's other famous brands would be disrupted. Breakfast cereal sales have spiked during the pandemic, particularly those of older brands that carry nostalgic value. The strike includes Kellogg plants in Battle Creek, Michigan, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Memphis, Tennessee, and Omaha, Nebraska. The union and the Battle Creek Company have been at an, at an impasse at the bargaining table for more than a year, said Daniel Osborne, president of the local union in Omaha. 
The dispute involves an assortment of pay and benefit issues, such as loss of premium health care. Here we go. Health care again. Holiday and vacation pay and a reduction in retirement benefits. The company continues to threaten, uh, quote, the company continues to threaten to send additional jobs to Mexico if workers do not accept outrageous proposals that take away protections that workers have had for decades. End quote, said Anthony Shelton, president of the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco, and Grain Millers International Union. Did I not just talk about this guy? <laughs> the reported threat to move work to Mexico doesn't sit well with Osborne. Uh, it was the same uh, threat that Nabisco was making to its workers because um, Mandela's wanted to move some of the jobs to Mexico. They're not talking about that, but that's that. That was really what they were, you know, in addition to wanting to cut their pay, wanted to take away their their uh, health insurance, and wanting to uh, work, you know, work them for inordinate amount of time without. Um, due compensation, this is the same thing. Uh, this is this is very interesting, you know? So, yes, yeah, so if you don't do what we say, we're going to move our jobs to Mexico. A lot of Americans probably don't have much issue with the Nike or Under Armour hats being un- made elsewhere or even our vehicles. But when they start manufacturing our food down where they are out of FDA control and OSHA control, I have a huge problem with that, Osborne said. I do, too. I do, too. Actually, I have a problem with uh, anything that is is invented here being made outside of the purview of the United States. I really do have a problem with that. And one of the reasons why I voted for Trump is because he, too, had a problem with that. And I was of the belief that he was going to bring these jobs back to the Americans, to American shores. Because, you know, town after town, city after city has been wrecked by job loss from these big giant corporations who sat at the tit and and milked the American public. Because let's face it, Americans made this company. They made these companies. Americans spent the money and made these companies. We made these companies what they are. And they turn around and they say, oh, you know what? We don't want to pay you, even though they make ridiculous billions of dollars in profits. And I'm not saying, I'm not, listen, I'm a capitalist. I believe in the free market. But I also believe that the free market applies a great deal to workers. It applies to workers as well. And I know there are libertarians and and conservative people who say, well, you know, businesses are not responsible for your life. Yeah, they are. If you're out here manipulating the stock market and, and, and talking and, uh, uh, you know, poking at inflation and and doing all these things and and raising your prices and doing that. You know, how are Americans supposed to live? The cost of living gets higher, you know, the price doing, price gouging. You know, nobody's really talking about 
how the system is unfairly rigged so that they can get more of your money. You know, yeah, they're giving everybody $15 an hour. Applause. But inflation is up. So it costs you more to, to, to you know, $15 an hour actually puts you in the, in the eight hole. And, you know, you're, you're not even caught up. $15 an hour. Marvelous. If you live in New York City, what the hell is that? It's better than working three, eight, I mean, eight dollar an hour jobs, I suppose. But, you know, great. So you got to work two $15 an hour jobs. And that's what this has all come down to. They don't, the, the, the corporations, Candace always says something uh, very interesting. And uh, Russell Brand pushed, pushed back at it because he didn't he didn't quite get it and then I think it's in my opinion it's the difference um between uh well he he, Russell Brand explained what socialism meant to me which is to tax Amazon to the ground give Jeff Bezos 10 million dollars a year um you know get him a, a decent salary he can live off that that was his idea of socialism and Candace Owens was arguing that the businesses are socialists. Like, they, they, they push socialism. And why do they push socialism? Well, in this case, I, I, and I disagree with what she said, but I understand what she meant. I call it just to un-Americanize the workers. Because um, nobody had a better work environment than the United States. You got paid overtime. You got good health insurance, good benefits. You know, you had a nice retirement plan. These were all good things, good incentives to go to work, to stay at work, to be at a company, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse me. Nowadays, they don't want, you know, the corporations don't want to pay you what your job is worth. They don't want to pay you market value. They don't like United States market value. They like Mexico market value. How much are they paying people in Mexico anyways? You know, what is it? $8 an hour or some nonsense like that? You know, they like that. And so this way, they can keep more of their profits. So in a way, I do agree with her that they want to kind of socialize the American worker because they want you to get used to living off less. You know, oh, you don't need that. You're wasting money on that. You know, Obama came out and said some nonsense about how people all and stop buying flat screen TVs and start with health care. You know, because he wants to tell you how you should spend your money, the money that you worked for. And this Biden plan, who's, you know, he's out here. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. But basic math tells me that if you tax a small number of people who make over $400,000, do you know how many people that actually have that kind of money? And so-called millionaires, you're going to get their taxes and all this. You're not going to raise $3.5 trillion. That, to me, is simple math. But I'm going off the subject here. I'm talking about, I don't want to go off too much because... Really, what I'll talk about is 
you know, they want to take jobs away from America. They want to un-Americanize the worker. That's what they want to do. Not necessarily promote socialism, but they definitely want you to be un-Americanized. They want you to be accustomed to living off less. And they, they, and I'm talking about the corporations here, are constantly in the ear of politicians, downing the American workers, maligning them, whatever opportunity they get. Why? Because they want you to be accustomed to working hard, giving all to the company, and not getting paid for it. So here's what the company says. The company insists that its offer is fair and would increase wages and benefits for its employees that it said made an average of 120000 a year last year. Quote, we are disappointed by the union's decision to strike. Kellogg provides compensation and benefits for our U.S. ready-to-eat cereal employees that are among the industry's best, Kellogg's spokesperson, Chris Bonner, said in a statement. They're only making 120000 a year. And food, that's that's not bad. Osborne, Osborne said he expects the company to try to bring non-union workers into the plants at some point this week to try to resume operations and maintain the supply of its products. The company acknowledged that it is, quote, implementing contingency plans, end quote, to limit supply disruptions for consumers. Honestly, I don't really think consumers need frosted flakes. The plants have already continued to operate throughout the coronavirus pandemic, but Osborne said that for much of that time, workers were putting in 12-hour shifts seven days a week. Sounds familiar? It was the same with the coal miners, and it was the same with Nabisco. To keep up production while so many people were out of, out, oh, out because, excuse me, while so many people were out because of the virus. The level we were working is unsustainable, Osborne said. Kellogg's workers aren't the first food workers to strike during the pandemic. Earlier this summer, more than 600 workers at Frito-Lay plant in Topeka, Kansas, walked off the job to protest working conditions during the pandemic, including what they called forced overtime. That strike ended in July when workers ratified a new contract. Oh, I didn't even know about Frito-Lay. Workers at Nabisco plants in five states went on strike in August to protest plans by Nabisco's parent, Mandela's International, to move some work to Mexico, among other issues, according to the same bakery union that represents Kellogg's workers. The strike ended last month when workers ratified a new contract. So, one strike ends, one strike begins. And over the same issues, the exact same issues, you know, overwork, not being compensated well, um, you know, the, the company's making ridiculous profits. And what, what can you say? What can you say? What can be said that, you know, So coal miners are, well, the coal miners are still fighting for six months. It's been six months since they've been on strike. So, again, over the same exact 
issue. It's the same thing. Overwork, little pay, and then they want to cut your benefits. And they say, oh, well, we did, you know, we paid you. Yeah, you, we, oh, you overworked us. And you paid us for overworking us, but you didn't pay us a, a good salary to begin with. They, you know, people who are working through the pandemic, applause to them, you know. Okay, so we're talking now about the strikes across the United States of America by various food corporations and um, truck drivers, I heard, were on strike, but I see nothing about them. Uh, But an update on the Alabama coal miner six-month strike against Black Rock's Warrior met. And this goes on to tell us that Larry Spencer, UMWA District 20 Vice President, represents 1,000 or 1,100 coal workers or miners in three UMWA locals, which on strike, went on strike, which are on strike, my God, who wrote this, against Warrior Met in Alabama since April 1st, 2021. We will give an update on the strike in a September 28th webinar. The strikers are fighting to reverse concessions that were forced on them in 2016 when BlackRock and other billionaire creditors set up Warrior Met Coal and took over mine operations with with the aid of a bankruptcy court. To keep their jobs, Warrior Met made the miners work up to seven days a week and take a $6 an hour pay cut, accept reduced health insurance, and give up most of their overtime pay and paid holidays. Is this ringing a bell? Or is that beating a tambourine? That is beating a tambourine. It's it's the same. BlackRock is one of the three majority shareholders in the new company. BlackRock is the world's largest investor in fossil fuels and the world's largest asset manager complicit in Amazon destruction. BlackRock's net income was $1.5 Five billion with a B in the second quarter of 2021 with the record of 9.5 trillion with a T in assets. Warrior Met makes up just a tiny fraction of its portfolio. UMWA President Cecil Roberts pointed out the workers gave up more than 1.1 billion in wages, healthcare benefits, pensions, and more to allow Warrior Met to emerge from bankruptcy five years ago. The company has enjoyed revenue in the excess of $3.4 billion in that time, but it does not want to recognize the sacrifices of these workers that, made to, uh, that allowed it to exist in the first place. All those billions came up to New York to fatten the bank accounts of the already rich. Invoking shared sacrifice, Warrior Met has promised lots of improvements once the company attained financial solvency. When contract negotiations began last spring, however, Warrior Met reneged on its promise, refusing to bargain in good faith. Whoa. They're making us work seven days a week, up to 16 hours, said Brian Kelly, president of United Mine Workers of America, Local 2245 who's worked in the mine for 25 years. Now, we're forced to work every holiday except Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, and Christmas. 
that's that's rough. Except excessive overtime is a key issue in the strike. Miners have been work, forced into 12-hour shifts stretching into weekends without the double pay on Saturday and triple pay on Sunday that they used to get. Health insurance went from $12 for seeing any doctor in the world to $1,500 family deductible and co-pays up to $250. Jesus. Given work conditions in a coal mine, health care is vital. Miners face ciliosis or silicosis, black lung, diesel, smoke. Black lung is caused by breathing in coal dust, which silts up the lungs, scarring and destroying them. Another main dispute is the management in demanding is demanding the power to fire strikers and to give strike breakers and new hires seniority priority. Wow. That's just brutal. That is simply brutal. Strikers block scabs from entering the mines until the company obtained an injunction to stop them. Strikers have been arrested and run into run into by vehicles driven by company employees. Oh my God. On July 28th, 1,000 miners and supporters rallied in New York City to protest outside the offices of BlackRock and fundraisers. There, South Dakota Federation of Labor, President Cooper Carraway told Wednesday's demonstrators that, quote, workers all over the world are going to stand with you and support you. There's nothing BlackRock or any other rich asshole can do about it. And this is true. Uh, so Hamilton Nolan wrote an excellent report on the biggest rallies of the week. And there were more than a dozen CWA members from Atlanta who worked for AT&T, decked out in red shirts. There was a gaggle of UAW members. There were Teamsters and teachers and government workers, all proudly in their union t-shirts. There were union officials from Georgia and Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina. Great. There were presidents of locals from other states climbing the stage to present $500 checks to the strike fund. There was an entire tent full of long horse, long shoremen, forgive me for that, wearing custom-made white t-shirts that said, Port Workers in Solidarity with Mine Workers. They had come from Charleston, Jacksonville, Mobile, Mobile, Alabama, on a single bus that stopped in each city collecting comrades. And goes on to say that they had the support. And if you want to donate support uh, to support the strikers electronically, send a check to UMWA Strike 2021 Fund. Um, I'm going to leave a description of that in uh, I'll leave a link in my description here. And I will probably come back to it at the end of the show because. We have to support the coal miner strikes. Now, wherever you stand on fossil fuels, let's be clear here and let's be honest that fossil fuels, if you stop them today, would not turn around and make the environment that much better. It's going to take a long time. It took a long time to get here and it's going to take a long time to turn it around. That is the truth. That is the science. Um, The other part of science. Yes, things are bad. Yeah, you know, it's going to take a long time to turn around. So, 
today, everything Thursday, which is, you know, very interesting. Now, I heard some controversy regarding St- uh, Sage Steel. Now, I, I, you know, I, I try not to support Disney as much as I possibly can, but you know how it is. They're big. They get into your, your mess anyways. So apparently she said something that was controversial. So let's see what that was all about. As I am a fan of Sage Steel, oh my Lord, Sage Steel. Say that twice. Um, you know, I watched it. They had a little game show. I think it was years ago. Um, who wanted to be a host of an ESPN sportscaster? And I think that's how she got her job. She won. Uh, she was the first person to win. And as far as I can recall, she's been there ever since. And that was about, I guess, 10 years ago. So she says something about Obama's racial identity. And something about vaccine mandates. Oh, Lord. Oh, she should have known better than that. So, this report comes from C... Oh, no, not C-SPAN. CNN. And it said, ESPN's Sage Steele apologizes for controversial comments about Obama's racial identity and vaccine mandates. Oh, my. So, here we go. ESPN Sports Center anchor... Stage Steel has apologized for making controversial statements about vaccine mandates, female sports reporters, and former President Barack Obama. Oh, I'm not beating Tamarine for that. I'm just beating Tamarine because, oh, that's just a, that's just asking for trouble. Not that you shouldn't speak the truth if you must speak the truth, but my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Steel has been removed from Air following comments made during a September 29th podcast episode of Uncut with Jay Cutler. In a statement to CNN, Steele said, I know my recent comments created controversy for the company and I apologize. We are in the midst of an extremely challenging time that impacts all of us and it's more critical than ever that we communicate constructively and thoughtfully. That was what she said. While recording the podcast, hosted by the former NFL quarterback, still made multiple comments that left many in sports media scratching their heads. While talking about ESPN's company vaccine mandate, Steele said she respects an individual's decision to get the COVID-19 vaccine. But, and this is her quote, but to mandate it is sick and it's scary to me. End quote. Yeah. We all feel that way. A lot of, you know, some people are just embracing it because they've been terrified for over a year and a half. And, you know, the true misinformation is that, you know, the unvaccinated are walking around here spreading COVID like there's nobody's business when, you know, that's not entirely in and of itself true. But, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not prescribing anything. I'm I'm just saying, you know, yes. We all believe that. That that is a a remark that is really, in my opinion, not that controversial. To mandate a jab is kind of sick. I feel that way. And and it gives me a kind of side eye. 
this is a pro- subject I'm supposed to not be talking about. So let me beat my tambourine because this is not a subject I'm supposed to be talking about today. I'm supposed to be avoiding this subject. But I just wanted to find out what she said. So I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, how I feel about vaccine mandates. She also spoke to Cutler about her identity as a mixed race woman, questioning Obama's decision to identify as black on the census. Uh, she goes, I'm like, well, congratulations to the president. That's his thing. I think that's fascinating considering his black dad was nowhere to be found, but his white mom and grandmom raised him. But hey, you do you. I'm going to do me, Steele said. Again, <laughs> this is not, in my opinion, the most controversial thing anybody has ever said. There are many, not all, uh, black Americans who feel this way or Americans who feel this way. Um, not, not, It's not even a great deal, but there are people who do feel this way. Like, you know, okay. I don't know why he didn't identify as mixed race, but it's obvious, you know, that he talked about his father. So, um, Steele also made comments about female sports reporters and sexual harassment saying women need to be responsible. And it isn't just on players and athletes and coaches to act a certain way. Ooh. Beat my tambourine. I have said this for a long time. I was demonized for uh, blaming the victim. Blaming the victim. I do not blame the victim when you are being forced. There, that's assault. You know, somebody is overpowering you. They're assaulting you. That's a different, uh, that's a whole different program. And I'm not talking about that. But when it comes to um, women and, and, you know, this is a sticky situation because as we do have freedom to be who we are, we have to realize that this pendulum also swings both ways. So if you are a, a woman of a certain figure and you wear tight clothing and you, you know, don't want the male gaze, you know, the, you're going to bring that attention to yourself. I'm not saying that, you know, the men are correct in behaving a certain way or, or saying anything gross, but I'm saying that, you know... <laughs> Dave Chappelle said, if you, you know, you dress a certain way, you can't expect not to get attention. If you didn't expect to get attention, why would you dress this way? Now, that means that women have to take responsibility for their own lives. And I'm a feminist. So to me, feminism represents to me a responsibility that women have to ourselves. We can't be responsible for what the men do, but we can be responsible for ourselves. And we do not live in a world yet where a woman cannot be questioned about her actions that provoke a man to do what he, even though the man is wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we don't live yet in that society. It hasn't become um, that society yet. So until that happens, we women have to take responsibility as much as we can 
to protect ourselves if we don't want certain attention. That's my set. So I don't think she's wrong in that. I don't think she's wrong with that. So she goes on to say this. I've had talks with young women. They're like, oh, would you look at my tape? Would you would you do this? And I've and I've said I'd listen and I would love to. But the way you present yourself is not something I want to be associated with, she told Cutler, who nodded. So when you dress like that, I'm not saying you deserve the gross comments, but you know you're going you're what you're doing when you're putting that outfit on too. Right. Just just what I just said. If you're putting on a sexy outfit that's uh form fitting, tight, revealing. You're not doing that for other women. Okay, you're doing that for a certain amount of attention. And so you can't be upset if you do get that attention. Because the pendulum swings both ways. Yes, you have freedom to do what you want to do. But also the pendulum swings that people have a right to react to you the way they react. Moving on, in an interview with CNN's Brianna Keeler on New Day Wednesday from former CESPN host Carrie Champion, who currently co-hosts Carrie and Jamel, won't stick to sports, said many young brown girls in the industry, including herself, had looked up to Steele. To hear her make anti-black comments and demean women, she said, was disappointing. I don't think she demeaned women. I mean, you heard the comments. I don't think she demeaned women. She if you're a strong woman, then you understand that you have to take responsibility for yourself. You can't take responsibility. I'm not saying that you deserve uh, rude comments. You, you, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with her that you don't deserve to be accosted or harassed. That's not what I'm saying. But we also have to understand that in a world, there are people who do not live by the standards put on them by society. There is, there are rude people in the world. There are crude people in the world. There are mean people in the world. There are evil people in the world. And if you're going about in the world not being aware of that, you are naive. Because you cannot expect everyone to behave in a certain manner just to benefit you. It, it doesn't work that way. It simply doesn't. So, the lady goes on to say, Steele's comments implied so, so many things that were hurtful, said Champion, who stated that she has worked with Steele in the past. And, quote, it also shows that there is a lack of awareness on her part. What lack of awareness? Regarding her comments about women reporters specifically, Champion said that mentality, especially in a male-dominated business like sports broadcasting, only pushes women further down. No, I don't think so. No, because if you put forth that standard, then that standard has to be respected. Now, when they cross that line, you get to knock them in the head. But you have to come, as the saying goes, you have to come correct. If you're about business, then you got to do the business. You can't come in dressed in, 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 in a nightclub outfit in a, in a boardroom meeting. I mean, all things being equal, right? 
Still thinks that she has taken the moral high ground. And quite frankly, all she's done is separate herself and put a division between women in a business that already puts a division between us, Champion said. It makes it hard for us to get along because we feel like we have to compete. And it's so disappointing. Well, ESPN has a very shitty reputation for diversity. But they're, they're, they're not very well known for it, you know. Um, they're terrible, so. At ESPN, we embrace different points of view. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Oh, okay, here we go. Dialogue and discussion make this place great. That said, we expect that those points of view be expressed respectfully in a manner consistent with our values and in line with our internal policy. Well, what do you mean in a manner consistent with our values? If you, if I'm not with your values, I, I'm going to express it. I mean, she wasn't disrespectful to anybody. She just stated her opinions and how she saw things, her point of view. And uh, here we go. Line with our internal policies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said, we are having direct conversations with Sage and those conversations will remain private. Steele's comments came just over a month after the network removed another well-known host, Rachel Nichols, from her coverage of the NBA and canceled her show. The jump after the New York Times reported in July comments that she made about another NBA analyst, Maria Taylor, during a private conversation in 2020. According to the Times report, Nichols, who is white, said Taylor, who is black, was chosen to lead NBA Follows coverage due to the company's diversity efforts. Nichols later apologized on air. Yeah, she said some, some things. Um, I don't think she was all wrong. I mean, she was like, I worked hard to get here in my position. This was Nichols, by the way. And now you're just going to come in and try to take what I have and give it to somebody else because... You want to look like you have um, grand diversity when actually you do not. So, you know, hmm. So those were her so-called controversial comments. That's to me is truly a nothing burger. I'm not even impressed with that. I mean, she really didn't say anything other than the mandates are scary, which a lot of people are. You know, they don't show you all the protests across the, the country and the world, people resisting the mandates. Let us decide. Okay, I'm not going to get on that. Here I go. I beat my tambourine. I don't have a drum, so I have to beat my tambourine. Uh, believe me, you don't want me to torture my guitar. So there we go. <laughs> that would be a very, very, very terrifying, bad podcast if I... Got down my broken guitar or, you know, my beat up uh, keyboard. So what else is in the news? What else is in the news? U.S. coronavirus. Oh, yeah. There's some really weird things. Oh, wait, I got to avoid that subject. I got to avoid it. Okay, looking up something, looking up something, looking up something, looking up something. The Clinton scandal. Do we want to talk about that? Oh, my God. 
Like when uh, when are they going to jail? Like when is when is Hillary going to jail? If it was anybody else though, they'd be under the jail. You know, I did a uh, 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 it was yesterday's podcast about Mayor Lovely Warren who took a plea deal for um, uh, misappropriation of uh, campaign funds in 2017. And she took a plea deal. She had all these charges, you know, going against her. And she takes a plea deal. She does go to court. She doesn't face any um, any jail time. And I said, if it, I don't know if I said that, but I certainly thought if it was you or me, they would be making inroads. And I mean they, the justice system and the political system, would be making inroads to throw you under the jail and make it so that you could never make a living again. But she's going to emerge clean and fresh because she still has her law degree. She still has, you know, she can still run. And she's not going to jail. It's it's a misdemeanor now. It's not a, a, a major charge. So it's been tossed down. She's not. She's not going to suffer any consequences for her actions. Even though she should have known better. She's a lawyer. She's been in politics for a while. She understood what she was doing. She knew very well what she was doing. But she's going to get away with it. Take make of that what you will. But if it was you or me. You know, they would make sure the Justice Department and, and, and the Democratic whomever that you would uh, be under the jail. They would make a path for you to live under the jail. Uh, so, what about this bill, this $3.5 billion bill? Let's, uh, let's talk about that for a little bit. That's a conversation. So, this $3.5 billion bill, trillion, it's with a T, forgive me, is looking like it's not going to go through. And I did a podcast earlier about how I was celebrating the Biden agenda dying in the wilderness like the dirty dog it is. Because I'm not against infrastructure. The infrastructure part is very good. I like infrastructure. We need to fix our roads and our bridges and, and you know, take care of our country, our airports. We need to do that. that that's something that needed to be done. But this rest of the bill was not about infrastructure. It was about giving away money to, for government, government overreach. And I did a long, boring one about that. But all the stuff that was in there about them looking at your accounts, your bank accounts, uh, the government wants to know uh, what's going on in your bank account If you uh, with the $600 transaction. is like, for real? $600 in, in their effort. It's the IRS. So the federal government is using the IRS to spy on people and get their, their banking information on transactions $600 or more. $600. Dude, that's rent. I pay rent every month. You know, that's rent in some places. $600. And they want you, 
and this is what they want you to do. They 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 want you know they want to put that into the to the to the three point trillion dollar plan. Healthcare. They want to extend the child care benefit. I'm on the fence about that. I understand how it's been this last year and a half with people with no jobs, you know, trying to make ends meet. They need child care. You know, they want to go to work. We're still on the fence about this, um, about this uh, pandemic. You know, big business wants it to go away. And, and, you know, I say this is the pandemic of the big business who who wants it to go away so they can go back to making money. Um, and I wouldn't be opposed necessarily if the money was going to help small businesses and help businesses that have been struggling this entire time or help the people, like really help the people get back out there and go to work, you know, really help you, you know, help you find these jobs, help you in some major way. But it's it's not. It's just huh, was it the Washington Examiner call it the party of free stuff. And and this is the interesting part. Uh, this is from the Washington Examiner. This is another article. The Democrats tout polls showing public support for their three point five trillion dollars social spending and tax hike bill, which critics in horror and supporters gleefully say will transform the American way of life. Quinnipinic, oh Lord, I can never pronounce this, Quinnipinic, Piek, or whatever, forgive me for butchering that, in late July found 62% supported and 32% opposed what is its survey described as a spending bill on social programs such as child care, education, family breaks, and expanding Medicare for citizens. Uh, a mom of the poll painted the bill is equally rosy colors and discovered 63% support 35% opposed, to which one can only smile ironically and wonder if the pollsters thought of mentioning mom and apple pie. Absolutely. I was about to say that, that, you know, sure, they got people to approve of the bill when you worded it a certain way. You know, they call it the infrastructure bill, and it really has a very small amount to do with infrastructure. What if instead they asked an equally accurate question is, do you t- support or oppose the $3.5 trillion bill expanding government spending and raises taxes for new social programs. One suspects that the two-thirds, one-third split would have gone the other way. I agree. Democrats seem to know this. It shows in the way they've dug in their heels over raising the federal debt ceiling. They refuse to include an adjustment of the ceiling in the $3.5 trillion legislation even though it's obviously an appropriate budgetary matter and the parliamentarian who adjudicates these things has already ruled that it can properly be part of the bill. The part, the, the party of the left is fine and breezy when it comes to ramming a bill laden with goodies through Congress without Republican support using reconciliation, which allows passage with a bare 51-50 majority. But the same party reels back like a startled horse that's seen a rattlesnake when Republicans say that if they're going to heap more debt on our children's head, they can do it by themselves. Instead, they demand GOP support and bipartisanship. bipartisanship. And President Joe Biden has the gall to call refusal to, dang- to call refusal 
dangerous and disgraceful, even though he did precisely the same thing during the debt limit fights 2003, 2004, and 2006 when George W. Bush was president. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell declines to play ball, retorting that since Democrats won't negotiate with him on the $3.5 trillion bill, they can hag- they're haggling only among themselves to find trickier accounting gimmicks to make the total bill on the spin look lower without really being so. Then, when it comes to their debt limit request for bipartisanship, they pound the sand. And this is the thing. Um... Yeah, so they want to stay, yeah, well, you know, the hypocrisy is real. What can you say? The hypocrisy is real. Democrats saw the legislative version of the rioters who ransacked stores for free stuff in the summer of 2020. They're looting piggy banks of the next generation and the generation after that. They are trying to strong arm their own centrists into backing the mega splurge, refusing to hold out a vote on the bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill until Senate approves the $3.5 trillion bill. There's no necessary connection between the two, but the radicals want to leverage the popularity of the small bill to get the bigger bill to Biden's desk for signature. If it were actually popular, they could easily do it later. That is key. It is not really popular. Not popular in Capitol Hill where it doesn't have votes to pass and not popular in the country where voters are turning away from the Democrats on economic management. It's terrible. What they have done is terrible. The party knows it's likely to lose control of the Senate and the House in the 2022 midterm congressional elections. So the next time you hear Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Majority Leader Chuck Schumer say their unprecedented expansion of government is popular, pause to wonder why. If that's true, Democrats are scrambling to rewrite the statute book before voters take away their power to do so. And that is it. It is not popular. It is not popular at all. $3.5 trillion bill. And when you see what's in that horrible omnibus, that, 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 that Trojan horse, you are shocked because none of that has anything to do with, um, with infrastructure. Like, why are we paying money for all of these things when we need to be really working on infrastructure and getting people some of these jobs? And you're not going to employ the entire country on infrastructure work. Okay, you're not going to do that. But you will at least put some people to work. You know, we, we can get our, our roads well. We can get our bri- keep our bridges from falling down. But, you know, it's a Trojan horse. The infrastructure bill is a Trojan horse so they can bring in all the other crap that they want to bring in. Give, give, give away the house, the store, the kids, the baby. So finally, 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 somebody has calling it out for what it is. It's an unpopular bill. We don't want it. It's too much damn money. Fix the roads. Fix the bridges. But leave all of the crap the social uh, crap out of it. But again, I said this, the the Democrats know they have a short time. And so they're going to try to push it. Well, that's not even true, even because uh, Joe Biden said it doesn't matter when the bill gets done. So there's no real urgency. So it's probably going to sit there. It'll, It'll probably get passed, but not now, not at the present moment. 
Anyways, I have been droning on. It is everything Thursday. Listen, thank you for the success of yesterday's podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you if you made it with me this far. I do appreciate it. I appreciate it very, very much. So, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at the Black Eye Podcast. Follow me on Instagram, also the Black Eye Podcast. Also, uh, go to my Patreon page, also the Black Eye Podcast. I try to keep it simple. So, you know, you don't have to worry about all these other things. And, um, you know, don't forget to leave a message. There's a link in the description. Uh, also, for donating, I'm going to also leave a link in that description for donating to the coal miners. Um, I'm going to leave a link in that in the description because that is important. I think we ought to support our brothers and sisters who are going through and fighting for us all. Listen, again, thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. Go out there. Have a great day, despite what's happening in the great in this world, the craziness. And you know something? Be blessed. Bye-bye. You have just heard the Black Eye Podcast. If you would like to contact me, you can do so through Twitter at MHB1070, on Instagram at My1029. That's M-H-I-G-H-1-2-1029. Excuse me. Or on Patreon at theblackeyepodcast.com. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so through Stripe. Any donation helps me make better content and bring it to you. Thank you.